Father, as we listen to the words to the music, I, I wonder when the last time we were overwhelmed by your mercy, by your grace, by your beauty. Lord, if it's been a while, I pray today might be a day where we would be overwhelmed by you. Lord, all it takes is one glance, one look, one lingering pause to think about you, and it would overwhelm us. Father, as we look into your word today, we pray that we would find the treasures that you have there hidden for us. May they overwhelm our hearts as we discover them. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please, uh, please have a seat. So, today is Father's Day. And I doubt there's a woman in this room who doesn't know that. However, I may have just taken a few men by surprise. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I ran uh, marriage retreats, I enjoyed showing a clip uh, where a handheld machine translated a man's words into a language that, that women can understand. It was called, instead of a translator, it was called a manslater. So here are a few. Uh, when a man says it would take too long to explain, uh, manslation, I have no idea how this works. <laughs> it, when a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, the manslation is, I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> when a man says it's a guy thing, Manslation, there is no rational thought pattern connected with this, and you have no chance of making it logical. And when a man says, and I, more than any of these, relate to this one, when a man says, I can't find it, the manslation is, it didn't fall into my outstretched hands, so I don't have a clue where it is. Of course, uh, as, a, as a father, I'm, I'm just poking a little fun at fathers on Father's Day. The reality is that in God's framework, fathers are essential. Most, not all, love their dads. And Father's Day is an opportunity to tell uh, their dad how much you appreciate them. New dads, old dads, granddads, dads-in-law, stepdads, serious dads, goofy dads, whatever kind of dad... Uh, there is, for many, uh, their dad is the best. Many fathers taught love and compassion and integrity to their children. Many fathers taught them how to ride a bicycle, throw a ball, catch a fish. Many learned what it meant to be a leader, and what it meant to be a follower, and many learned what it meant for their word to be their bond. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to, we're going to look at a, a father who any other father could emulate. A, a man who being a man and being tender were not mutually exclusive concepts. This morning we're going to talk about a father like that. We talk about his wife all the time. My goodness, we even have 
people in here that you know uh, by her name. Uh, and she has a place in our hearts and in our minds. But as is the case with so many great stories, the one provides the context for the other. Without one, the other would not be. And we've heard the story of Samuel's birth many, uh, many times from Sunday school, uh, from the pulpit, but invariably it's always from Hannah's perspective. Uh, the fact that Hannah and Samuel remain popular names uh, testifies to our appreciation uh, of, of their lives. Samuel, you may not have caught this before, but Samuel means God has heard. It's related to Ishmael in terms of the name, which means the God who hears. So Samuel, Ishmael, it should bring that wonderful Hebrew word Shema to your uh, mind. And Hannah, of course, means grace. So if your name is Hannah, that means grace. If you're grace, that is Hannah. However, I wonder how many of you know any boys by the name of Elkanah? Yeah. Yeah, a few weeks ago when I, I spoke of my great-great-grandmother, Sarepta, uh, which you remember, that's Greek for Zarephath. Well, her name was 3,026 on the uh, most popular names in America, right? So I want to put Elkanah's name in perspective. It's not even ranked. <laughs> the last Elkanah that I was able to find on Ancestry.com was born in 1876. Yeah, uh, we probably don't know any. Not in America. There are a few out there, but, uh, but not so much here. So poor Elkanah. His name means God has purchased. But he's neglected from the pulpit. His name is neglected. His story, his biography is neglected. And he's also a neglected father. I mean, perhaps we ignore him because he had two wives. I mean, but if we ignore him on that basis, we would have to ignore all the patriarchs. I mean, and yes, it is true that from the beginning, it's one man, one woman. And yet during time, there are times and during this time and before that, for sure, multiple marriage was considered a realistic alternative to famine and to widowhood, and to infertility. In other words, men died young. And uh, I said, I thought it was pithy, men died often, but actually you can only die <laughs> once. Uh, so they didn't die often. What I mean to say is that they have a much higher death rate than women. And this placed women in that day in great peril. Uh, but polygamy is not our subject. Elkanah's character is. And as we read this narrative, what we're going to find is that it's going to become clear that Hannah was not the only godly person in this story. Elkanah was everything we need a father and a husband to be. Turn with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 29. It's a long text, but I want to ensure that all of you have a notion uh, about the story to refresh it, bring it to your mind. It bears out hearing it 
in its entirety. There was a, a certain man from Ramathaim Zephim of the hill country Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jero. I'm going to have to put on my glasses. I trust it won't make too much sound on the microphone. The son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. Just on a side note, you may that name should sound somewhat familiar to you. It means in the area around Bethlehem. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Now, Hannah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. 
When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. The child was young, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for the, this child I prayed, and the Lord ha- has granted me my petition that I made, uh, to, made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. There are so many things to note. I'm just going to pull out a few. First is that uh, Elkanah would go to Shiloh year by year from uh, from the city, his environs where he was uh, from at Ramah, and he would go to worship the Lord and make sacrifice there. Now Deuteronomy 16:16 16, 16 tells us that you're to do this. The men were to do this three times a year. They were to go there, it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So they were required to come three times a year. They were required to bring a sacrifice. Not only that, but we find in Deuteronomy 12, 5, they were required to bring their households with them. And their households actually ate a portion of the sacrifice that was given. Deuteronomy 12, it tells us this, You shall seek the place the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households. And all that you undertake, which the Lord your God has blessed you. So he not only faithfully went uh, to Shiloh to sacrifice, he was faithful also in leading his family there. Uh, It was like Joshua, I mean, his farewell address, Joshua is really challenging the nation. He was saying, we cannot put up with idolatry anymore. That's not what he said. That's not what, and, and really as it relates to a quote, but that's what he was talking about. He said, "And you do if it doesn't seem good to you to worship the Lord, fine. You go do what you want. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And Joshua staked his claim there. Now Elkanah is in that long line of men who followed. Joshua's steps. And I'm asking a question to men today if that if that is something that we understand that God wants of us. He wants us to be like the men of Issachar, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel should do. How many of us have understandings uh, of our time so that we know what we should do? I mean, in our own lives, much less beyond that. I mean, in our day, it's more important now than ever. I mean, it, also in Ephesians 6, 4, we're going to examine this in more detail uh, just a few messages from now. But Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because fathers play such an important role in that. Dr. Paul Vitz, a professor of psychology at New York University, and a former atheist, wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. And what he does is he argues that the root cause of atheism and agnosticism have more to do with absent, distant, harassing, and abusive fathers than any other feature. And I'll tell you what, I was among them. Absolutely. I was an atheist until my second year in the army. I didn't believe in God. I could not believe in the existence of a being who would allow the kinds of things that I saw not just happen to me, but happen to those around me. And God in His grace and God in His mercy saved me. I don't know why, but He did. Sadly, according to current statistics, I would not in any way say that this percentage of uh, children fall into the category that I fell into. Uh, thankfully, mercifully, that's a small percentage. But nevertheless, 34% of children in the United States of America today live apart from their fathers. This poses a risk to our society. Research shows that children who live apart from their fathers are approximately two to three times more likely to end up in drugs, more likely to experience educational, health, emotional, behavioral problems to include imprisonment. Are we engaged with our children? Do we engage with them in ways that we should? And what can be said? The word of compassion to the mothers who, who are in their children in fatherless homes. I mean, and very often not of their choice. I'll tell you where the solution's found. There's a number of places, but you know what the number one solution is? It's something that we mention here, but I don't know that we fully understand, and I don't believe that we actually fully appreciate. This is family. This is family. Our extended family culturally is gone. You know that, right? My closest child lives uh, in Arizona. The next closest, I suppose, is in Canada. I don't know. I am not exclusive in that. This is our family. This is, our, this is where our fathers are. This is where our mothers are. This is where our children are. This is how we operate in this world as a family. It is here that children can witness men leading, guiding, directing, loving, caring. And it doesn't take much. I learned how to be a father from watching Fred McMurray on My Three Sons. 
And I think my girls are watching, and I think they would agree with me that that wasn't too bad. It doesn't take a lot, but it does take something. It does take care. It does take concern. It does take living a life that is compassionate and loving. And second, saying that, Elkanah was loving. I mean, on the day when they would sacrifice, he would give uh, portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Now, this is, this is an interesting statement that follows. Because he loved her, comma, though the Lord had closed her womb. Yeah, the worshipers, as I said before, they would eat a bit of the sacrifice. Uh, but what's interesting is that the Lord took, he would take from the, the sacrifice that was made to the Lord and he would give her a, a double portion. There was great uh, social stigma. It wasn't just social stigma. It was a real uh, thing in the ancient Near East. And it's, it's more cultural today than anything else, but it's still very present. In Jordan, my name, or in wherever I go in the Middle East, my name is Abu Michel. Now, what that means is the father of Michel. Now, you have to understand that Michel, in Arabic, is a man's name. It's not a woman's name. And so it's like Abu Michel, because your name is, you are the father of your eldest child, or your eldest son. So in my case, Michelle is my eldest child, Abu Michelle. When they would find out that Michelle was a girl, sadness would register on their face. <laughs> and I would say, I would say, Zay Muhammad. And they would go, ah. I mean, like Muhammad, he only had daughters. But the women... And you wouldn't think this so. This is very powerful. This is, this is more powerful than you might imagine. If you've been in or near a culture like this, you may come to a closer understanding. But the women would tear up when they would talk to Barb. Maybe, don't despair. Maybe, maybe God may grant you a son. So while today it's cultural, in Alcana's day, it was a matter of life and death. No sons, you had no one to care for you in your age. You had no one to care for you in your infirmity. And yet, even though barren, Elkanah loved Hannah. We don't get the import of that statement. Culturally, we don't, we don't get that. People in that kind of a culture understand it much more that there was a something very, very real here. Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? He lived Paul's words from 1 Corinthians where we read that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Men, 
do we demonstrate that to our wives? Do we step in unbidden to help? Do we demonstrate affection in front of our children? You do know, I know you know this, I, and I, I don't mean to sound preachy, but this is so important. You do know that it is how you show affection to your wife that your son learns how to treat a woman. You do know that it is how you show affection to your wife that a daughter learns how she should be treated by a man. These things are so, they're so important for us that we need to give the most important gift that we can possibly give, and that is to love our wife in front of our children. He loved her even though she was barren. And finally, he he respected her and he listened to her. Verses 21 and through 23, he would go up in all his house to the Lord for the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. That's truly remarkable. Because you need need to know this about Elkanah. You need to know this about this man. And that is according to Numbers 30, 12. Listen carefully. If her husband makes his wife's vows null and void on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows and concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. Her husband has made them void and the Lord will forgive her. You understand, he had the power Scripturally, biblically, he had the authority to say no. But you know what? Here's a man who not only loves, we're not talking about just some kind of emotional love here. He deeply respected her. He listened to her. It was obvious that he loved her deeply. And he wanted her to keep the vow. In fact, He's the one who said, you know, she said, I'm going to keep him till I wean him. And he says, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But only may the Lord establish his word. You will establish your word to the Lord. I mean, fathers, we've got a lot to learn from this man not the least of which is to listen to our wives' hearts. I mean, he's the type of husband that God expects us all to be. First Peter 3, 7 tells us this, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
in Elkanah's life, it teaches us, it informs us at a minimum as to what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a lover, what it means to be a listener. We are to respect our mates, their thoughts, to be compassionate and caring. I, you, you're, you may certainly be aware of this, but the I wished it was the next to the last verse in Scripture. That way I could say one of my favorite words. One of my favorite words is penultimate. I love that word. Most people get it wrong. They think penultimate means like that's the, you know, that's like the highest thing. No, penultimate means next to the last. <laughs> so so if, if somebody's ever written that, uh, you know, you're the penultimate baseball player I've ever known. Uh, that's not a good thing. But it's the fourth to the last verse in all of Scripture, and it reads this. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Fathers, is that not your calling? Is that not your calling on your lives? To be a place of consistency, of constancy, of security, of safety. Let me tell you something. That's only possible through Jesus Christ. There is nothing on this earth that can capture and hold and direct and guide our hearts other than Christ. So my invitation to you today is, if you want to be, I'm going to take a small sidetrack here for just a second. Father's Day is a very complicated day for me. It's a very complex day for me. I, it's not even that I dislike my father. I don't know him. Never have. Any of the ones who stood in that place were men of violence and men of pain as far as I'm concerned. So that's one half of my Father's Day. The other half of my Father's Day are my three lovely daughters who think I'm the best dad in the world. Your... Life may be complicated as well. And I really pray that today might be a day where it is the good, it is the beneficial that Christ will bring to your mind and will restore in your heart. For all others, celebrate. It's a wonderful day for you. But regardless, none of this is possible outside of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice for us, and our walking in His Spirit through His Word. Father, we are so deeply grateful for who You are. As the song says, you're a a good, good father.
And Lord, we thank you that you have adopted us into your family, that you have made us brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and children. One great family that one day will be united in its full array in glory with you. We look for that day. We thank you. We praise you because you're the only one do that. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.